And so what I want you to do this morning, I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 2. So 1 Peter chapter 2, that's what we're going to be reading out of this morning. If you don't know where that's at, you'd be better to start in the back of your Bible and, and go the other way. So 1 Peter, you'll go through Revelation and Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, and there is 1 Peter. So if you'll find 1 Peter chapter 2, it's also going to be on the screen for you. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verses 4 through 10. We've done a lot of standing, but this is something that we value here. I just want to ask you to stand uh, in honor of God's Word. And so I'm going to read through this. Pray, and then we're going to dive into this message. So starting in verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So the title of this message is, We Are His People. So think about that. We are His, notice the capital H, we are His people. And I'm going to talk about the church today. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for all that you have already done, all that you're continuing to do. And Lord, I pray that my heart has been prepared, that I will speak clearly and that the hearts of the people have been prepared, that they will receive of your word. So Psalm 19, 14 says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So a little bit of introduction before we get into what I've got to preach. Last week, Pastor's sermon was, This is the place. And so he talked about the place and, and how the church is now the place where God's presence is made manifest. Something me and JoJo and, and others have talked about. There's a level of depth that we get through Pastor Brown's preaching that others don't receive. And that's a wonderful thing. But sometimes there's almost so much meat, you need to go back and chew on it again and again and again. And so I work with cattle, so that's where you get a lot of my illustrations from. What I do as somebody that works with cattle. If I see a cow or a calf that's chewing its cud, that tells me that's a healthy animal. Because cows have four parts to their stomach, and so what they do is when they eat grass, they chew it up, they take it in, it goes into one part. Then they regurgitate it, and they chew it again, and that's what cud is. So they do this time and time again. Why do they do that? Well, they do that because it makes it easier to digest, and the easier it is to digest, the more nutrients they pull out of that grass. That's why they can eat grass and be 2,000 pounds, 
because they chew on it time and time again. And so Psalm 1 talks about blessed is the one who meditates on the Word of God. That's what that means. It means to read the Word of God, to listen to the Word of God, to receive of it, but then to bring it back up again and chew on it again, to get as much out of it as you possibly can. And so I want to use Pastor's sermon from last week as a stimulus to lead into where I'm going today. And so I want to backtrack just a little bit to talk about what he preached last week and how it led me to preach what I'm preaching this week. And so he started with Jacob. And you have that moment where Jacob meets God and God speaks to him. And in that moment, it says in Genesis 35, 15, Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. So Jacob begins to realize that this place is is the place where the presence of God is. He has met God in this place. And so we spoke then about the presence of God with the people of God in the tabernacle. So this story begins to develop a little bit further. And so when you get to Moses and Aaron in the tabernacle, in Leviticus chapter 9, 23 and 24, it says this, Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire, catch this, fire came out from before them, the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So this fire comes out of heaven because it's a fire that God sent. And Pastor talked about this, how sometimes we try to light a fire, but what we're called to do is instead take the fire that God has already lit. Amen? And so that's the true fire that we are supposed to be about. And God throughout Scripture is described as being an all-consuming fire. And His presence is marked many times by fire. You have Moses in the burning bush. You have the people going through the wilderness with the pillar of fire. You have this in Leviticus where the fire falls on the altar. And the story of God's people and the presence of God just continues to develop. And so you get to King David. And he's described as a man after God's own heart. And one of the things he desired was to build a temple for God. Where God's presence could dwell with his people. But what did God say? It's not going to be you. It's going to be your son Solomon. And so when Solomon finally gets to this point of constructing the temple along with the people of God, in 2 Chronicles 7-1 you have this, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Similar to what you saw in the tabernacle, now we find it in the temple. And this is just a continuing story that we see in this theme that God chooses to mark the place where His presence will be, with fire falling from heaven. But see, here's the problem. God's presence was never intended to be contained within a singular place. No building, no structure. You read Habakkuk chapter 2. The prophet Habakkuk says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. You can't get any more covered than that. And so this is a prophetic word that he speaks, that one day the presence of God will cover the entire earth just like water covers the sea. In Numbers 14, 21, this is God's own words. He says, but truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's God's desire, not to be contained within a particular place. No place can truly contain God. But that leads us to Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. If we're talking about this, the church being the place, talking about fire from heaven, marking the presence of God and where God has chosen to dwell. You get to the day of Pentecost. This is probably the dirty part of your Bible if you're a Pentecostal. If I grabbed your Bible, it would fall open to Acts chapter 2. 
Maybe not so much Leviticus, but yes, Acts chapter 2. We read this story so often. But it says the day that fire fell, the fire fell from heaven, the fire of the Holy Spirit upon the 120 that were gathered in that room together. Now we begin to see God's plan pushing forward to no longer have his presence contained within a physical temple, but instead his presence will be within his people. And his people will carry his presence to the ends of the earth. That's what the church exists for. We are filled with the presence of God and we carry the presence of God everywhere that we go. Jesus gave us a commission in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's why we can say with all confidence what Rev preached last week. That place where the presence of God in the Old Testament or in the times before has become this place. The church where the people of God come together in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. This place is that place. We have become the place of God. Therefore, if we have a place where His presence dwells, then we are His people. So what I want to talk about this morning is the church. What is the church? Have you ever asked yourself that? Many times we become a part of the church or we grow up in the Bible Belt and church is just a word that we use over and over and over. What is the church, though? I really want to look into that. What's the nature of the church? What's the purpose of the church? Or in layman's terms, that's how I prefer it. Give me the easy words. What is the church here for? What's the purpose of the church? What is it? What's it here for? And so as I was preparing for this message and looking, I initially went to the Apostle Paul. And he talks about the church being the body of Christ. But I was led to Peter. And I got to Peter's writings and I was wrestling with this. Which way should I go, Lord? What, what would you have me to say? You see, both Peter and Paul were Jewish. And they didn't lose their Jewish identity by becoming a part of the church. There's a difference between the Judaism of Jesus' day and truly being Jew, Jew, a Jew or Jewish. But they knew the Old Testament. They knew what they called the Scriptures. We call it the Old Testament. The Jewish people in those days, and even to this day, simply call it the Scriptures. And they saw in this Old Testament the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ. And the church is a part of that fulfillment in Christ. And so as we dive into this, I want to look at three things. I want to look at Him. I want to look at us. And I want to look at them. So can you remember that? Him, us, and them. And as we look at the church, how do those three things form and shape the way that we look at the church that we as believers are a part of? So what is the nature of the church? Well, simply put, it's not a building or a structure. What is the church? The church is not tied to a geographical location as if go here and you'll find the church. Instead, it's composed of the people of God living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what makes up the church. Wherever the people of God are gathered under the lordship of Jesus Christ, there you find the church. That's why we can have a missionary come in here from East Africa, tell us about what is going on in East Africa in the church, and we are as connected to them as we are to somebody that's at church in Quitman this morning. Because the church is not just local, it's universal. And we need to see this dynamic. The local church is crucial. 
You will not find anybody to stand on this stage that will not say more than I will that the local church is crucial. But we have to see it as a part of a bigger picture, the universal church. That if you are a believer in Jesus, you belong to the universal church. Local churches are an expression of that. Therefore, we should be tied to and connected to a local church where a body of believers gather together on a weekly basis to praise and worship Jesus Christ. So let's dive into 1 Peter chapter 2 and let's look at that. Him, us, and them. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, you read this. Coming to Him... As a living stone, rejected indeed by men, chosen by God and precious. You also are living stones being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. So thankful they sang that song this morning. The cornerstone, elect, precious He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The church is built on Jesus Christ. But it's also built by Jesus and through Jesus. It all sets and rests upon Jesus Christ. And so verse 4 is where I really honed in, and it says, coming to him, coming to him. What makes up the church? The church is comprised and composed of the people who come to Jesus. There is no entrance into the church apart from Jesus. You can find no other way. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But see, this coming to Jesus that Peter talks about right here is not a one-time come to Jesus and you're done. That's a part of it. You have to have the initial repentance and faith. Repenting of your sins, seeing Jesus for who he is, the Lord and Savior, the one who shed his blood for you and for me that our sins would be forgiven. But it's a continual in the Greek. Not just coming to him one time and saying, yes, you're Lord, but coming to him every single day that your life has no meaning apart from him. I have to come to him every single day. I am saved And I'm being saved because I came to him and I keep coming back to him. He's the bread that always satisfies. So the church is the people of God who come to and through Jesus and continuously come to him. So if I were counseling you right now because some people wrestle with salvation, am I saved? And what they try to find is a moment in time where something dramatic happened and they hold to that. Praise God for those moments. Praise God if that's your testimony. Many people, by, I believe, the plan of God, get dedicated as babies and grow up in the church their whole life. They may not have that radical lifestyle, then that powerful transformation that we often get jealous about. But to me, the the testimony to be jealous about is I was dedicated as a child and I got saved when I was five years old or whatever it is, growing up in the church and knowing that Jesus is who he is. But what I would ask you if I were counseling you and you're wrestling with that question I'm not going to ask you about a moment. Praise God if you got it. Right now, are you coming to Jesus? Are you coming to him in this moment? 
Thank the Lord for the moments in the past, but in the moment right now, is He your Lord and Savior? Don't think past, don't think future. Right now, are you coming to Him, trusting in Him? How do I know, Pastor? That's a great question, but how do I know? Peter says that Jesus is precious to God. Did you catch that in this verse? He's precious to God. But look at 1 Peter 2, 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. You see, this is the point that if, if I've spent any time in prayer, it's been on this point right here. That regardless of what I say, I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit drives this point as deep down in your heart as it can possibly be driven. Is Jesus precious to you? That's my question that I asked myself before I could ever preach this message. I asked myself that so that I could ask you. Is Jesus precious to you? Whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been following the Lord for a hundred years, is he precious to you right now? That's the truest mark of a member of the, the church of Jesus Christ. Is he precious to you? I was asked in one of my classes to do a study, to think if your house was on fire, your family's out, what do you go back in and get? What's precious to you? The lady that was teaching the class said there were some letters that were written by her grandmother with her hand. And because of her grandmother's prayers and letters, she got saved. And so she said, I'd go back for those. Listen, if my house is on fire and my family's standing right beside me, I'm not going in for anything. Why? Because the thing that's precious to me is standing right beside me. If I got my family, I don't need anything else. And the same is true in the spiritual sense. If I have him, I don't need anything else. Is he precious to you? Like the man that went into the field and found the treasure, what did he do? He went and sold everything that he had just so that he could buy the field for the treasure. He realized that in comparison to everything that he had in life, relationships, possessions, it all paled in comparison to that treasure. That treasure is Jesus Christ. Is he precious to you? This morning, that's the truest mark of a believer in Jesus and a member of the church. One of my favorite songs is by Gateway Music, Precious Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And so my question is twofold. Is he precious now, but is he even more precious to you that have been following him for years? And if you struggle with that, pray that God would open your eyes to see his son the way that he sees him as the most precious thing in all of existence. That's the truest mark of the church and those who make up the church, the ones who see Jesus as more precious than life, possessions, health, family, anything. He is preeminent, is what the Word of God says. Is Jesus precious to you? And see, Peter goes on to describe Jesus as the cornerstone. So thankful they sang that song. What does it mean to be the cornerstone? Well, that's the stone when you're building that everything else is built on. You start with that one, the weight of everything, the structure is built off of that cornerstone, and Jesus is that cornerstone by God's design. He's the first, most important Stone. Nothing is built apart from the cornerstone. You have no house, you have no temple, unless you have a cornerstone. Matthew 16, Jesus talking to Peter, and we'll dive into this a little bit later at the end, but he's talking to Peter. 
and all the disciples. And he asked this question, who do men say that I am? And he's standing in this area where there's just pagan idolatry. And it's right there in the middle of all of that that he asks the question, who do men say that I am? And they say, Elijah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist. They give respectable answers, but then he flips the question. He says, who do you say that I am? Listen, that's the question that all of eternity hangs on. What are you going to do with Jesus? Boil all of life down to that. What are you going to do with him? Even atheists don't really argue that there was a man named Jesus who lived during the time that we claim that Jesus lived. They won't really argue with that. But it's, he's not who he said he was. That's the real linchpin of the argument. What are you going to do with Jesus? The question he asked Peter is the question he asked us, not just once, but every day. Who am I to you? And Peter gives the answer, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. What does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, who normally puts his foot in his mouth, but you got this one right. But then he says, it wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. It was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. It takes a supernatural work of God's grace to see Jesus the way I'm talking about. It's not something I was able to do in my own strength or ability. It took a work of God's Holy Spirit ripping away whatever was blinding me from seeing him. If you struggle with that this morning, your prayer needs to be, God, let me see him the way you see him. Humble yourself. That's all God's looking for. Humility, longing for Jesus. He will pull those scales away that you will see him. But Jesus says in that passage, I will build my church. Listen, we can come up with all kinds of schemes, all kinds of things that draw people in, and those are good things, so long as they're done under the umbrella of it being Jesus working in and through us. We don't build the church. He builds the church. But here's the point I really want to hit. As we come to him, you're not only joined to him, but you're joined to all others who come to him as well. Peter says right here, you You're built up as a spiritual house. That you, if we were to translate the Bible in Hebrew Springs language, would be y'all. Y'all are being built up into a spiritual house. And so one of the things I want to drive home in this message, talking about the church, the church is not simply about me and Jesus. Now you can't say he's ours or belongs to us until you first said he is mine and belongs to me and I belong to him. But the moment that you get saved and become a child of God, You are also one of the children of God. This is why church is so important to look around you today and see that you're not doing this on your own. God brought you to this place, has grafted you into a family so that you can worship him, that you can be lifted up, and so that you can lift others up. You have gifts and talents that have been put within you by the Spirit of God to use within the house of God, and we're going to talk about out in the world. But the moment we get saved... We are a living stone placed upon the living stone. Then we are fitly joined together by the master's hand. And so there was a church, as I was kind of reading about this and studying, there was a church in England. And it was built by stones that the congregation brought. And so men, women, children would bring stones throughout the week. And as they would bring them, they would piece them together. And eventually they made a church, the way we say it, a building. I think that's amazing. From the smallest child to the oldest adult was bringing stones, and this building is built. Here's my question, though. What if some of the stones were missing? What if they were missing? You would notice it immediately. Not only would you notice it, you'd feel it. 
When the summer sun was piercing into that church, you would feel it. When the cold winds of winter blew in, you would feel it. When the rains fell, you would feel it. And as you looked at it as an outsider, you would say, something's wrong with that building. They're missing stones. And so where I shift this is to tell you, you matter. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you matter to the universal church, but especially to this local church. We don't function right without you here. There's a place where God has fitly joined you, and when you neglect the house of God, it shows. It shows to the world around, and it, we feel it here. And as a pastor, I want to encourage you. I know we'll miss church from time to time, but it's for those that neglect the house of God. I'm telling you, you matter to God. You matter to us. And number two, you're not going to live out the fullness of the life that God has created you for apart from the local church. What does a living stone do by itself? It's nothing more than a stone. But when it gets plugged in with other living stones, it becomes a spiritual house. I got time for this. You go outside today and you see a foot laying in the parking lot, a severed foot. What are you going to think? You are not going to think that foot's going to make it. It's going to get up and walk off. You're going to think, that, that's supposed to be connected to a body. Somebody better find the body and connect the foot. You're not designed to be on your own. You're designed to be connected to a body that the life, the head, Jesus Christ, will flow in you and through you because that leg needs that foot. That foot needs that leg. We're connected and fitly joined together as the church. Amen? So what is the church? Let's just give a definition. It's the community of all believers throughout all time. I really like that definition. There's a hundred definitions. I picked that one. That doesn't mean that's the best one. But it's the community of all true believers for all time. This is something I'm passionate about as well. The church is on earth and the church is in heaven. The saints that have went before us are still a part of the church. It talks about a great cloud of witnesses that have went before us. And I long for the day that some of those saints that I've loved have passed away will be joined together. But the church comprises all true believers throughout all time. And the reason I like that definition is because it highlights that individual aspect. But it also talks about that corporate aspect. So there's a personal side of salvation and there's a corporate side. And me and Shane have talked about this. Much of the worship music today is I, me, and my. But we need to start singing some of the we, ours, and us. Not at the neglect of that. Like I said, you can't call him your or our Savior until you first called him my Savior. So there's that individual, but there's that corporate side that we are saved and being saved individually and together. And so that's what the church, that's the nature of the church. All true believers throughout all time. But what's the purpose? What are we here for? Are we just here to gather together? Do we have a mission and a purpose? Listen, you go on a Saturday morning to Fayetteville, you'll see a bunch of people gathering, and they have a purpose. And unfortunately, you might see more people gathering for that than you will for this. And I heard a pastor say one time, and he was in Alabama, and I have relatives from Alabama. You want to talk about football? Wow. Roll Tide. There's no joke. But this pastor was in Alabama preaching, and he said, I want you to imagine that somebody comes to our city. And he's here on Saturday, and he wakes up, and he looks outside, and all these people are coming out of their houses wearing similar colors, loading things up. So he follows them. 
And they all go to this big dome. And they all gather and celebrate and party. And then they get inside and they scream and cheer. And then they come back and they celebrate more. And then he goes to bed. He wakes up Sunday morning, rubs his eyes and looks out. A quarter of the same people come out. But this time, even though they may look similar, they're dragging along. And they all go to another place. And they all sit there. And then they get up and leave, and there's no emotion, nothing shown. Which one do you think he is going to think is their God? We have to think about this. There is that side where we have to come together. We have a purpose to exist. And that purpose is found right here in Peter and throughout Scripture. So 1 Peter 2.5, listen to this. You are living stones being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We have a purpose for existing. We are a holy priesthood. Like the priesthood of old, they offered sacrifices. But here's the difference. We don't bring animals to sacrifice because the once-for-all sacrifice has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Our mission is to make much of Him. And the one sacrifice that by His blood redeems all who come to Him by faith. That's our purpose. We offer sacrifices of worship through word and deed. And we got to catch that. It's about more than just singing. It's about living. Your whole life is on display for other believers and unbelievers to see. You are a priesthood walking every day meant to offer sacrifices to God through Jesus. That's when it becomes acceptable, when it's offered to God through Jesus. Because when you look at him and you realize that I've been saved because of what he did, you look at your whole life differently. And everything you do funnels through that lens. How am I living to offer a sacrifice to him with the words I speak and the actions that I take? And then 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Listen to this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He just keeps adding a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know what the word proclaim means? It means to broadcast, to make it known, to shout it, proclaim the praises of who? Him. We glorify God through word and deed, the God who brought us out of darkness and put us into light. We were once lost, now we're found. We were once dead, now we're alive. Alive to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we proclaim that's the first and primary purpose of the church. You exist and I exist to worship and glorify God. That is the primary purpose of the church. Reason number two, to be the people of God. Listen, if God's intention was to save somebody and transport them to heaven, then let's fill the baptismal up. And we'll hold you down and shoot you to glory. But we put you down and we bring you out. Why? Because you're left here with a purpose. You are changed, once dead and lost in sin, but now alive and filled with the Spirit of God. To be the people of God. To put on display for the world what it means to be a part of a family that has a merciful and loving Father. To put on display what it means to be saved. And to invite others in. He says we're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. I can't get away from this one. His own special people. We're a people that had no identity. He says that. You once were not a people. 
You had no true identity. You wrestled with it. You went here and here. Maybe if I do this, I'll find my purpose or my calling. Maybe if I become a part of this, I'll be accepted. But you always wrestle with it and you never truly find it because you and I were created to be in communion with him. And as we come to the church and become a part of that, we become a part of a people, his people, a people that now have an identity. We have a purpose that goes beyond ourselves, goes beyond this life and reaches into eternity. A people that had not obtained mercy. So now we have this identity as the precious children of God, redeemed by the blood of his son. That's why we sang that song this morning. It meant so much. Why? The blood will never lose its power. It will never lose its power. You're adopted into his family. And how cruel would it be if God said, you know what? I'll save you, but I'm not going to put you in a family. Think about a foster kid for just a second. I don't even have this in the notes. Let's just think about this. They have needs. But is it the right thing to do to say, listen, I'll, I'll meet all your needs, but you are not going to be a part of my family? Is that going to truly meet the needs that they have? No. And so when God saves us and he calls us out of darkness, he doesn't just call us out. He immediately places you in. You're called out of darkness and you're placed into a family, a family of light and equipped and loved by God. And as I was reading in Revelation, it says that his people will have his name on their forehead. The name of God is inscribed upon the head of all true believers. We're supposed to display that. Like the priests in the Old Testament, it said holiness to the Lord across their head. That meant they were marked and set apart. Joe hit on it this morning. These babies, we mark them, we set them apart for the Lord. You and I, as believers, have been marked. The name of God is on our forehead, and guess what? He carries your name in his hands forever and all eternity. Look at those scars on Jesus' hand. They're the nails that pierced his hand for you and for me. And Stephen, when Stephen's martyred, it's an interesting passage in Acts, and Stephen is martyred, and it says they looked up into heaven, and he saw Jesus standing. Some people say, well, I thought Jesus was sitting. But here we say he's standing. I, I don't know if I know the right interpretation of that. Some people say he was uh, receiving Stephen. But I think it goes a little further. Because you see, Stephen is being tried by these Jewish people, and as he's preaching the gospel, they reject it. And they call him a blasphemer. And he has no one to back him. And so they stone him and kill him. But right before he dies, he looks into heaven. And he sees Jesus standing. Yes, to welcome him in. But I think that he is also standing there saying, I represent you before my father. You're one of mine. Your name is on my hands and I plead your cause every day. He lives to make intercession for you and for me. So brothers and sisters, our Purpose as the church is to make much of the one who makes much of us. And that might sound wrong, but it's called grace. God gives us grace. God gives us love that is unconditional. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. He's the one who's chosen to give it to you, to give you these titles. So instead of trying to impress him, because that's what we worry about so often. I want to impress God. I want to impress God. How about we just live our lives in making much of him? That's the purpose of our life, to make much of him in every way possible and to every person possible. And so last thing, last reason, wrap this up. We've crossed the noon hour. Matthew 16, 18. I told you we'd come back to this. Why does the church exist? Matthew 16, 18. 
I only gave you part of that verse earlier. Jesus said this, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. But catch this second part. And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Listen, so many people have an idea of the church as being on the defensive. The church is never meant to be on the defense. We're always meant to be on the offense. If you read this correctly, it says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What does that mean? That means there are gates where people are trapped behind that they cannot get out, but those gates cannot keep the church out. And so the purpose of the church is not to always be on the defensive, to huddle together and say, we better take these blows, these flaming arrows, and everything that's coming at us. No, it's to shake that off and to realize that that same fire that fell on the day of Pentecost still falls on the church today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that fire is far hotter and far holier and far better than the fires of hell that are on the other side of that gate. But if you won't go and I won't go, then nobody's getting out. And so the purpose of the church is to rip the gates off of hell. Because there are people lost in darkness, brokenness, sin, under the power of the enemy, longing for someone to come and tell them and show them what it means to be a child of God. Take the fire of heaven straight to the gates of hell. It'll melt it. And bring the captive out. Isaiah 61, Jesus quoted that. The Spirit of God is upon me that I might proclaim to the captives, that they might be set free. Guess what? Same spirit that was on him, same spirit that raised him, same spirit that dwells within all who are believers. You got the same spirit. Are we humbling ourselves? Are we relying on the spirit? Are we being the church, worshiping him, coming together, building one another up, and then ripping the gates off of hell because there are people trapped just like you and me used to be until somebody came and said, let me tell you about him the one who's precious to me. We are his people. We're brought out and we're placed in. That's the church. We're the lordship of Jesus Christ. We worship him. John Wesley said this, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin, desire nothing but God. I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Can we be that church? That's the only true church. The church that goes in where no one else will go. That calls out and proclaims as loud as we possibly can, come into the family of God. God has done the work through the cross to reconcile all people to him. But how can they hear unless we go? And they're looking constantly. I don't want them to see a church that's missing stones. I want to see a church that's brought together under the Lordship of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father and for the good of others. So here's my invitation to you. I'm going to wrap it up. No, no altar call. I'm going to give you a dinner bell. Instead of an altar call today, I'm going to call you to purpose in your heart to be here tonight at 5 p.m. I'm going to call you to a table, a table that Psalm 23 says was prepared in the presence of my enemies, a table where there's a bread that represents the broken body of Jesus and blood which represents, or the cup which represents his blood shed for you and me. That table is a redemptive meal that God has given to his people to partake of. And my prayer for you is that if you come tonight 
and you purpose in your heart to seek Him, that He's going to give you a deeper revelation of what it means to be a part of His church, and you're going to see Him as even more precious than you ever did. Matthew 24, maybe Luke 24. Somebody had to fact check me. They're on the road to Emmaus. And the disciples, Jesus comes to them, but they can't see him. It says that they're not able to see that it's him. And he begins to talk with them. And he begins to tell them about all the Old Testament promises of the Messiah. And it's getting late, and they get to their house, and he's going to keep going. But they say, come in with us. And so he decides to come in. And it says that when he sat down at the table, he took bread, and he blessed it. And he broke it. And immediately the scripture says when the bread was broken, their eyes were opened and they saw him. That'll happen to you tonight at this table. If you come purposing in your heart to be the people of God, to partake of the meal of God, to worship and glorify God, to be together with other believers, and then to leave this place filled with the fire of God, to take the message to your family, to your work, to the school, wherever it is, across the earth, Arizona, wherever it is, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. Celebrate that meal together tonight, 5 p.m. Stand to your feet this morning. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to leave it at that, and I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit, because I said, I don't know. Sometimes as a pastor, you think, well, if I try to bring people forward, maybe I'll just, I don't know. I'm going to trust. You're going to wrestle with this, you're going to look into 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10, that that place is this place, and I am one of his. I belong to him, and he belongs to me. I think about a story of a little boy, and he, he was talking with his grandfather, and he realized, his grandfather said, yeah, you're, you're mine, and I'm yours, and a light bulb clicked in his head, and the little boy said, so I belongs to you, and you belongs to me? He said, yes. And I want to take that one step further and say, you belong to him. And he belongs to you. But we also belong to one another. This is our meal to celebrate tonight. And so I'm going to trust that you're going to do what you got to do to be here tonight. Some of you may not be able to make it. That's okay. We're going to do it again and again and again. But it's a place where we proclaim his praises to each other, to the heavenlies, and to the world.